It's time for your daily dose of the Lunch Crew Gaming Podcast. Today's special ingredient, meat space. This is episode four of uh, the Lunch Crew Gaming Podcast. Uh, with me is Ken. Say hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. And Brandon. Say hi, Brandon. Hi. And introducing today's special guest, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, today's uh, topic is going to be about meat space, playing uh, games face to face with people. And that could be pen and paper. That could be um, card games or board games or even sitting on a couch and video games. Uh, no, same screen no, video no. games it's all meat space it's it, it's football, exactly not soccer, video games sport. though yeah. right so. well it's not virtual meaning you sit at one computer and your buddy sits in his house okay it's the other okay. computer you know so when you sit at like on the same couch and you're playing soccer or you're playing you know split screen uh mario kart right so, so okay well, I'll, I'll give you the uh the benefit of the doubt on this one but because kind of the origin of the using the term meat space is to you know, be contradictory to the term of cyberspace, basically anything online. So, right. But if you are playing with your buddy next to you, you're not necessarily online, right? Uh, unless you're playing a game made in the last 10 years. Okay. Now this is a discussion <laughs> for a different time. <laughs> Jeff, uh, from what I understand, you're a, a maker of sorts when it comes to meat space gaming, correct? That would be mostly correct. I don't physically build things. But if you mean like building content, then yes. Ah, you're the content provider. I'm the, okay, that's great. What, what This this will work out nicely because what will happen is that I will talk about uh, building the props that go with uh, Meet Space and you can talk about building the worlds that go with Meet Space now. And also uh, preferences because some people like props and some people don't. But anyway, we'll get into that when we get into the main topic. So. Absolutely. But this is just a teaser towards it and probably be heavily, heavily edited. So none of the awkwardness will be there. So I, I want to say right now in our announcement part here, if we ever use a phrase or a word that you don't understand, email us, reach out to us. Or you can comment on the episode on the website and somebody can follow up with you. Or we'll probably actually uh, go ahead and craft up a guide for the uh, for the half of our listening audience that isn't familiar with some of these terms. So Or reach out on Twitter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we ever say anything, and here's a couple of things that we used uh, in the last episode, uh, OP, which means overpowered, pubs, which I think we talked about, but pubs basically are public players. People we don't personally know. Right. We don't. Well, yeah, exactly. Even Abraham. Uh, RPG means role-playing game. MMO means massively multiple online. And massively, in this case, refers to both the user count and the game world. Podcast means a desperate attempt to cash in on a craze years late. Now, we had some fantastic feedback from some of our listeners, uh, which was startling at the very least that we have listeners. Uh, yes. <laughs> in regards to our last podcast, Who it was. Are these it was people? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> my sister. So it was really a thoughtful statement that basically stated as she was listening to it and as my sister was listening to it and reacting to what we were talking about without any context to the games or, or, or even understanding the type of games we're playing. She said, it sounds an awful lot like bullying. 
Well, yeah, it absolutely can be seen that way without context. But in context, you know, the group of friends gives as, as good as they get. As Jeremy said, it's camaraderie. He just happens to be the quickest of us all to get us to the place where we can laugh and joke. And in the story he told about the train, it was all of a five second moment of being inconvenienced more than anything else. It's not like the days where 25 cents equaled three lives. Uh, and there's just no value to the characters' lives in this game. They're designed to be, you know, flash and twitch. So. It's basically, like he said, camaraderie, not trolling, not griefing, and certainly not bullying. But we can see where that kind of looked like it. If you have any comments about that, anything you want to say in regards to uh, any of the topics that we've had, feel free to comment on our website location at lunchcrewproductions.com. But don't we have a we have an intermission thing that says, yes, we do. OK, then I'm not even worried about it. Neither am I. It's still a good thing to have something like that in the beginning of the show. Blah, 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 blah. All right. That's so, true. Yep. Because we always have a story about Jim uh, and this is kind of relevant to the topic for today. Jim has a 3D printer and this 3D printer he purchased for the express purpose of building parts for his diorama. Now that the diorama is done, he's now building parts out of his 3D printer for his 3D printer. What's a diorama? It's uh, when you have water in Mexico. Okay, Jeff, (laughs) we've got three questions we ask every single one of our guests uh, just to put a baseline out so the people listening can understand what type of gamer you are, uh, where you put value, and uh, if you're right or wrong. So let's first question. Are you ready? Sure. What is your favorite video game? Wow, that's a tough question. My favorite video game of all time, like any video game ever? Anything. Anything, anything, anything. My favorite video game of all time is uh, Zelda Link to the Past. It's unanimous. It's it's unanimous. So far, it's been unanimous. No, no, it hasn't. But that's okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. My wife is a Zelda fan because of me. I'm sorry. And I hadn't mentioned Zelda in my episode. So Zelda has happened ever since. And I'm okay with that, Zelda. Jeff, what is your favorite non-video game? game my favorite non-video game game would probably have to be dungeons and dragons which edition i'm old school i prefer basic but the original yeah wow all right mad respect on that one okay our final question for this aspect of it is there anything you're looking forward to video game tabletop movies whatever anything in the geek universe that has your attention and you're looking forward to um, I'm definitely looking forward to playing The Division 2 when it comes out. Fair enough. Yeah. Also, I'm super extremely looking forward to The Sinking City by Frogware Games when it comes out. Is that the Call of Cthulhu style or the uh, yeah. Cthulhu? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy those uh, teaser trailers they're putting out for them. They're, they're nicely done. Kind of got a, a Bioshock meets Cthulhu feel to it. Yeah, it really does. Here's one more thing I forgot to put on our our bullet point list. Uh, I would like to talk about. Uh, hey, Brandon. Yes. Have you played Fallout seventy six? I have not. I know you have. Though. I have. I like it a lot, and the reason is is because it's not like Fallout four. It's not like New Vegas. It's not like Fallout three. No, it's more like the original Fallout's, but without the problem that they all had, which was the main story. There's no main story. Bethesda has this great way of building side quests and side stories. And this game is all about the side stories, all about the lore, all about the side stuff. It's but awesome. isn't there a main quest that you can do to get experience and level up in order to get those higher end things? And shouldn't you do that main quest in order to do those things? 
It isn't a main quest. It only takes you so far. It's a much better game than people think. It's not a Bethesda game. It doesn't have the awful main stories that Bethesda games have. Okay, so that's my unpopular opinion. 20 years ago, November 21st, 1998, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was released. It remains one of the highest rated and critically acclaimed video games ever. I agree. Did you say 20 years? 20 years, years 1998. Man, I remember buying it when it came out. That's what my wife got me for our wedding. Now I now I understand the Zelda thing a little bit more, I guess. So the fact yeah. that you didn't mention Zelda at all in your episode was you basically spitting on your anniversary. I can see why she was upset with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, trivia, uh, since this is a meat space themed night, the original paper versions of the game Battleship included land areas in addition to the water. And it was also one of the first games to be made into a computer game in 1979. Look at that, bringing it back to video games. The original Game of Life featured spaces for suicide, disgrace, poverty, and prison. That would have been fun to play. It certainly would. It's an alternative win factor to get all four. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Though... Though he single-handedly launched the board game industry, Life was actually the only board game that Milton Bradley ever invented himself. After that, he switched gears entirely, patenting the game of croquet and inventing standardized crayon packages. Man's amazing. Crayons that lit us color in the uh, numbers on our dice. So that was just colored. I guess that's what crayon is, colored wax. And one in three American households has a Scrabble set. Now, I have three Scrabble sets. I've got a very nice Scrabble set upstairs that's only missing a couple of tiles. I have no missing tiles on any of my sets. My mother would kill me. We used to play it every weekend. So what you meant to say was you have most of a very nice Scrabble set. Yes, that is exactly what I meant to say. And finally, Clue, the the board game Clue, was patented in 1947, but wasn't released for two years because of post-war shortages. Because the Clue movie was such a flop in theaters, which is three alternate endings, it was one of the first VHS tapes to be heavily discounted from the then normal price of almost $100. As a result, it developed a huge cult following and most likely changed pricing for home video uh, from then on out once they realized they could sell more at a lower price. That movie was fantastic. I love that movie. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time it comes on, I have to watch it. Yep. It doesn't matter what part. One plus one plus two plus one. <laughs> One plus two plus two plus one. We always shout, let us out, let us out, let us in, let us in. So, yeah. Okay. Now we're going to get into the meat of meat space today. But first... The second three questions of our six question. True to form, our three questions is not actually three questions. It's actually six questions because why not? Well, it's a Brandon Sanderson trilogy. So, you know, okay. I guess I'm the only one who gets that. So, the, I don't uh, know who that is. He's a writer. No, he well, I can't read. That's my shit. It's a George R.R. R. Martin and it's fun. So I understand. Anyway, moving on. Jeff. Yes. Here's the next three questions. In your opinion, what is the best game song? either used in the game or in the trailer for it. What is it? The best game song? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go No Rest for the Wicked by... Uh, Cage Elephant. Cage Elephant, correct, from uh, Borderlands. That was fit fantastically with that game. Yes, it does. It was also used in a TV show called um, Strike Back. Good TV show, too. I, I, I haven't seen that one. It's good. Watch it. 
It's got a, a British guy playing an American and an American guy playing a British guy. Australian guy playing an American and a British, same, British and an American Australian guy same playing a British. They're just British convicts. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I feel like we should apologize to our Australian listeners. But, but I don't think don't if, we, if we have any, please uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, let's worry about that when you guys have some. We have. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, Jeff, second question or the fifth overall, who is the best protagonist in a video game? Wow. Best protagonist in a video game. I'm going to say myself because don't I play the protagonist in most video games? All right. Yeah. 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 You wear the skin of whatever avatar, but it's you. Okay. Very good. Who, in your opinion, in question number six, is the best antagonist? Let's see here. Best antagonist in a video game. There's so many to choose from. Honestly, I think Handsome Jack is one of the best villains ever. Handsome Jack's from Borderlands and from Borderlands, Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a good choice. He's very colorful. But kudos to the game writers for Borderlands because the the lines that they wrote for that actor were fantastic. But Stallion. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a yeah. character or line he. <laughs> but Stallion is not a character. Although it should be. <laughs> but Stallion was a character. He was in the pre-sequel? Assault on Dragon Keep DLC. Oh, uh, okay. You oh, could feed him uh, the new resource for that DLC, and he would spit a different type of resource and money out his ass. For those of you that uh, don't know what we're talking about, but Stallion is a unicorn. It's a crystal unicorn. Yeah, made out of diamonds. That shit's money. Today's topic, meat space gaming and its accoutrements. Jeff, give us your rundown on your perfect tabletop setup and i'm talking the physical stuff i'm talking like when people come into the game space what do they see how do you have it set up how many candles do you have lit what sensor playing what very white music isn't playing in the background dm screen or not i'm very simplistic i enjoy uh a very good light fantasy soundtrack generally behind the game that i'm playing mm -hmm. um i don't use a lot of fancy widgets on the table uh, i don't even use a mat with uh, figures because i like to describe what the players see and let their imagination fill in the rest of the blanks i think if you have too many representations on the table it limits the player's imagination and can be somewhat of a detriment now do you play with a, a, an experienced group now we're talking of course we're talking pen and paper style games dungeons and dragons uh vampire the masquerade stuff like that do you do you play with experienced players or do you have people from all sorts of different backgrounds or are they all like people that you know know how to role play know how to do the gaming stuff and love being in the theater of the mind yeah my current groups are all gamers who have been doing the pen and paper stuff for 20 plus years they like being in the in their mind and visualizing everything and figure out what's going on and the recent past i have had new players at the table who have not experienced role play except in a very limited scenario and it's always fun to get new people occasionally it's refreshing because they're sort of awestruck at how everything works and you know when you're describing things and having them ask questions about what's going on and what they're actually the characters are seeing and and how they you know perceive the game and visualize things fantastic my group is a bunch of newer players who don't have the experience getting into walking into the the lobby of the theater of the mind to, uh, is, is sometimes a little difficult for them and so in some cases where they would 
role play or or whatnot, it doesn't necessarily feel as um, natural to them as it would be just rolling dice. So I, I find it interesting that, that you would prefer just sitting around a bare table with your dice in front of you and your notes, then build the world out of words where I'm coming from, where I actually, I've got silicon molds, I've got 3D printers, I build sets, not necessarily to take the place of the descriptors, but to give a grounding to my players so that they have an idea of what to base things on off of. And I keep it bare bones, very minimalistic, but still they're able to see. And so they don't have to try to visualize, you know, how far away the ranger is from the bad guy. What are you, what are your thoughts on, on stuff like 3d printers or, or even figurines or even, you know, for, for tabletop wargaming or something along those lines? I would love to have a 3d printer. I think if I had one, I would put more effort into creating a visual representation of what's going on at the gaming table. Mm-hmm. And I definitely see where having those things would help newer players get a more grounded concept of the events that are actually that the storyteller is unfolding for them. However, when you've been playing for as long as I have and with the players that I have who have been doing it for, you know, 20 years, it can almost be a little too tedious when I can describe something and everyone instinctively gets it because they've been doing it for so long. And and they know your words, they know your phrases. They, right. they, they, yeah. they know you. It's like you're putting on an old, old suit. You say tedious. What do you mean by that? Just the, you know, the setup and the breakdown at before and after session. Do I have my, if my is my table big enough? So-and-so spilled a drink on my model I just made and now I got to deal with that. Do I have enough space to put my character sheet in my books plus all the figures or, you know, whatever on the table at the same time? It can get a little clustered. Absolutely understand. Uh, I'm sorry, cluttered. It can get a little cluttered. Cluttered and clustered. Absolutely. They, yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Ken, uh, you play with Jeff? Are you one of his players? Yes, I am. Do you agree with uh, with him in regards to having less stuff on the table means there's less stuff so you can play to the very end and then be like, okay, time to go. And I, I just got to grab my my notebook and go, right? Is that? Yeah, I do. As a Wizen gamer, a lot of times I'm, I'm there kind of more for the social aspect, you know, drink beer and throw dice kind of aspect. Mm-hmm. I can understand the desire to have something like a great model of a set built out. But uh, yeah, my, my concern would be how long does it take you to build to actually physically build the set? Is that, that going to cause a long break in the gaming session? And again, to tear it down, me personally, if you do something like that, a lot of people, especially if they're not as experienced or practiced, if you want to put it that way, they might overly focus on minutia on the models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it kind of builds this whole what you see on the figure is what you're expecting the character to have. These uh, skeletons with long bows are actually, you know, they, they're carrying, you know, swords, but I don't have that particular model on me. So just pretend they're swords and might get people that get confused and so on and so forth. It's, it's really just kind of nitpicky details to go back to the uh, comfort level of Jeff's players with Jeff in uh, some of his sessions in his uh, old school D&D game. We actually map. I don't know how many people actually map in games anymore, but, you know, we do. And so uh, when he's able to just describe uh, what's going on based on his description, draw the map accurately, that's like amazing and it's a win for everybody. Absolutely. Because we know what he's thinking. We're able to interpret that. 
We got the language down. Again, that is a throwback. I remember being very young and listening to my sister play uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the original. She would make the maps as well. And she it would be graph paper. It was such a great thing as a little kid to see because it was I could hear her talking about the environment and then seeing this. Jeff, do you draw your maps? Yes. So you do do some of this prep work. You do do some of the building. And like you said, if you had a 3D printer, uh, you would probably maybe do more. And let me tell you something. Resin printer is just absolutely amazing because I can make those $7 a figure items, you know, those guys for about a dollar, dollar fifty per three hours. And I've got one ready to go for, you know, spray paint and then paint. Basically where I'm going here is that the level of preparation, how much time is spent building a map, how much time is spent building the 3D map, that is a lot of work. I'm assuming, Jeff, you say the old school D&D, so you do the dungeon crawls. I have been known to do a dungeon crawl, yes. I I actually like dungeon crawls as long as they're not too big. Right. Because once they get above, uh, yeah, a little too massive, it takes a long time and people start getting bored of it and it, get, it becomes tedious to crawl through each and every room of it. When I build a dungeon, I try to keep it to no more than like 30, mm-hmm. 40 rooms. After that, it's it's like we want to move on and do the next thing. So you couple it with a little bit of role playing. A session will be pure combat and another session will be pure role playing. I mean, or do you something different or? Well, not every player is the same. Certain people like combat heavy games. Some people like role play heavy games. I try to strike a good mix of both every session if I can. Can't always do it based on, you know, what's going on in the world around the characters. I try very hard to make sure that there's a little bit of something for each of my players because I've been playing with them for so long. I kind of know what they like. I try to craft the world around them to provide all of them with an opportunity to do something I know that the players themselves enjoy, not maybe their characters, but the players. Absolutely. Oh man, I got to stop using absolutely. Can it do me a favor? Don't do a super cut of all the times I say absolutely because uh, it's it's <laughs> embarrassing. I listened to the last podcast. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It could be a bonus content for it'll be, Patreon subscribers. Once yeah, it'll we be get the that longest episode out. yet of me just saying absolutely. You got to set it to some techno music <laughs> in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yes, that's exactly what happens with my players too. Even in, in, you know, they've only got about a year or so of aggressively playing every other week and they really are just getting into the swing of of stepping out of their comfort zones. You know, I have a dice roller who loves rolling the dice in battle and figuring out the battle. So having the models, the figures on a map or something along those lines really helps that player. I have another player who's a cross between the two, loves the combat, loves the role-playing aspect, and but has issues not necessarily grasping the spacing because each square is like five feet square, you know, but it, it tends to skews the, the understanding of the room. Like you said, they focus too much on the model and not on what they're capable of doing. So it's a very, very interesting thing in prepping and designing for the players. Let's take a turn here a little bit and talk a little bit about your table design. You just use like a card table, your your dining room table? Dining room table. Okay. Uh, how many people play in your sessions? Well, currently uh, I play two nights a week. Mm-hmm. I play on Monday night. I'm not running that game right now. I've given up the dungeon master chair for a short time to a friend of mine, and we have six players in that game. And then on Thursdays, I've actually given the gate, the storyteller chair and that one up for a while so that we can play some werewolf, the apocalypse. We have 
five players one yeah five players in that game we have six and seven people at the table on both on either night i want to address this with the listeners here especially those that don't do pen and paper role play you'll note that when he was talking about his dungeons and dragons night he was the dm but when he's talking about his other night he was the storyteller and that's a very important aspect is getting into the mindset based on the names used. So if you catch one of us using a different term in regards to playing these games, in regards to being the person in charge telling the story, that's why each game has its own different way of describing the person in charge. My personal favorite is The Friend Computer from Paranoia. Yes. Oh, Paranoia is a great game. Anyway, just wanted to touch on that real quick, share the reason why he used two different terms to mean roughly the same. And you might put on your robe and wizard cap for one, and then in the other, you might put on suit? No, I don't think that's necessarily. No. Yeah, a lot of games have their own term for it. For instance, you like Dungeon Dragons uses Dungeon Master. World of Darkness uses Storyteller. Call of Cthulhu is called The Keeper. One of my other games I like to play called Chill. They're called The Chill Master. Um, my personal favorite, though, is The Storyteller because at the core of what you do at the head of the table, that's your job. You're telling a story that is a collaborative effort that your players get to take part in and mold and change it as it happens. And that's the fun part for the game for me, creating that combined story. I stopped myself from saying absolutely. But yeah, that's exactly... That combined story with the people at your table. It's also why I have trouble using representative minis at on the table or buying like little houses or trees or whatever to put on the mat to represent terrain and stuff, things like that. Because almost every role play game that I play, I run like a sandbox world. So I create the world and I give players options and it's up to them what they do and what yeah. trouble they get into. And, and it may be something that they can't handle or it might be something that, you know, the common guy on the street could handle in that world i give them the option to explore the world as they see fit and if i say well i think it'd be cool this session if they went to this town and did this thing and i got all the stuff to represent that it might be two months of game sessions before we get there yes there they could be off halfway across the world and i'm like oh i got all this other cool stuff sitting over in the corner but i can't use it and i'll just go and put it in a box, I guess. Yeah, exactly a danger to doing this, which is why having a 3D printer is such a handy thing because you can just print the building blocks and put something together if need be. But at the same time, I've got just a map that I use a dry erase on and some straight edges and a couple of 3D printed props such as boxes and chairs and tables and whatnot that I can just toss out as need be for my players to be able to have some form of visualization. Some some flavor. Yeah, exactly. And 5th edition is very simplified in many ways in combat. It's not like 3.5, which was Dungeons and Dragons, the war game. The chainmail throwback. Are you at 7.2 degrees facing your enemy or, you know. Well, if you're at 7.2 degrees, you don't have line of sight so you can't do that i mean from your center mass you know and how much taller are they in centimeters versus uh stone of weight the game system does matter but it does help my players many ways to be able to visualize just what they're seeing this is a great discussion because we we both approach the idea of telling a story collaboratively i think roughly the same but at the same time i enjoy having little figurines to work with and when we first started we got knockoff lego minifigs to be in place of the characters and i 3d printed swords and shields and bows and whatnot and use that for them to be able to visualize angles and if there was a wall in the way or something along those lines it wasn't until we were able to get the resin print and print out the figurines that look as good as the stuff Wizards of the Coast is putting out that I thought, you know what? This is something pretty cool. It's it's like dice. Jeff, Ken, do you guys collect dice? Yes. 
not professionally, but I definitely got a big ass pile of them. Yeah. Yeah. I have paid lots of money for cool dice yeah, before. Yeah. Do you have metal dice? No, no, no. <sighs> they are so fun to roll on the table. Do not park pockmark my table. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, yeah. Metal dice. Awesome. Have you ever broken a coffee table with a metal dice? Uh, with a metal dice? Yeah. No. We had a guy roll a big, heavy metal D20 on a glass coffee table. Oh, it went clink, clink, crash. Oh, wow. He was, he was not invited back ever. Really? Did, he didn't even say, no, he got, gonna, I'll pay for it? That, uh, I don't know if he did or not. It wasn't at my house. It was uh, his first session with our group. That was it. He was sent home and never got to come back. Ouch. Those metal dice are a pretty penny. I'm sure the die was fine. No, the die was no, fine. No, no. It was not a The fact on that it. he could not use it again. Well, in that, that session. Well, he may have found another group, another group right. to play yeah, with. He learned I don't a know, but... But still, I mean, what a what a thing, what a thing to break break stuff. That's that's. Uh, but yeah, the moral of the story here is metal dice may look pretty. Keep them on the shelf, or use a dice box with uh, either leather bottom or a cork bottom. Speaking yep. of dice boxes, you said uh, earlier that your group has been together about, about a year. A year. Mm-hmm. Have you ever questioned anyone's role? Nope, nope. You trust them implicitly. Yep. Because uh, they, they're of the mindset that failure can be just as awesome as a success. And we sit pretty close to each other. People are looking at each other and, and doing it. The majority of us watch a web show called Critical Role, and they see sometimes a failure can lead to a better story than a success. It's my opinion that a failure always leads to a better story than a success. Yes. You know what? I will completely agree with you. Failure creates drama. Drama makes a better story. Yes. Yes. I'm not going to say that. Absolutely. There you go. No, it it is. Ap- God. <laughs> it's just like own it, man. A own big it. bowl of chocolate. We'll start making t shirts with absolutely, absolutely with exclamation mark. <laughs> it'll be great. It'll be, it'll absolutely. be absolutely, then completely unplayable. And uh, what's that other one? Ridiculous. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, your, it's your catchphrase, man. I don't know if Ken told you, but I built my own table. He did tell me. Yeah, it is. I think that's fantastic. It, it was my wife and I did it. It was a lot of fun, a little stressful. And believe it or not, grand total, not including tools, cost us $210. How big is it? It is 12 foot and change. It's a bit of a personal question. <laughs> <laughs> 12 foot, two inches by four feet. Wow. Maybe five inches. I can't remember what we ended up doing. So at 12 foot. That's pretty big. I mean, like, do people have to, like, get on a really tall chair to sit at that level or? It's not 12 feet tall, Ken. It's 12 feet long. Well, to be honest. It's 30 inches tall. In Ken's defense, you didn't specify. That's true. I did not specify. But yeah, it is 30 inches tall, 12 feet long and change, and four feet wide and change. I have nine people that sit around that table, uh, including myself, and I have a space for visitors on the far end. And I also have TVs and a HDMI splitter because I run with a computer next to me. We use a, an online app called D&D Beyond, which they are not sponsors, but I would love to have them as sponsors. That takes care of everything in regards to the, the DM being able to see the character sheets for everybody, be able to pull up items, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty cool. Check it out if you are of the mindset that's to the people. You're missing out on a great opportunity. What's that? There is very few times as a dungeon master or storyteller that you get to enjoy the fear in your player's eyes when you say, can you please hand me your character sheet? (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And in games that I run, you are not allowed to have an electronic character sheet. You have to have a pen, a 
paper character sheet in front of you. And I have come very close to banning electronics at the table before. See, now I can understand that. The group I run with, I would much rather not have. I'll explain why. The amount of table space is usually taken up by the dice boxes, the dice, the snacks, whatever. The amount of space that ends up taken not necessarily deep but as wide tends to push people around so the digital aspect is pretty cool and what's nifty about the digital aspect is i can say well i just made a change to your character sheet and that's all i have to say and they can look and it's a positive or a negative and i understand the idea of the okay hand me your character sheet your character's done but it's just as easy as going click the x yes and the other thing is just because you're handing your character sheet to the dungeon master doesn't necessarily mean you're dead no i understand maybe you have a new feature Mm -hmm. and you're about to get your character sheet back or maybe not or you don't always get that character sheet back right (laughs) more often than not you just don't get it back yeah this is a punishment again it's a different culture and and it's not necessarily better or worse it's just how we've developed our storytelling structures you and i having the digital representations there versus the paper i came from the paper world but at the same time the ease of having all this digital information at my hands versus going hold on i gotta check up a rule all right uh god is Anybody else have a player's handbook? Do me a favor, look at this. Or to be able to go, oh, click, 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 there it is, is pretty awesome. You got a, a large group of fairly inexperienced players. They probably all have cell phones and iPads and all that other kind of stuff, right? They're not mm-hmm. digital hermits, right? That's correct. So it's probably really easy for a newer player to use a more digital format because they're inherently used to it. There's been a lot of times where we, I, I played a new uh, system I'm not used to, and I, I have to like sit there and flip through my character sheet like five times. I'm flipping it over back and forth. Like, Where's that one stat on this character? So I can see it being an easier way to have a larger group that's easily managed for players that are not overly familiar with the system where they can just, you know, instantly know what their Thacko is or whatever. Uh, so Thacko, for those of you playing along at home, is to hit armor class zero. It is a an esoteric term for those of us that are in the fifth edition, but it's something to live and die by when you are in the earlier renditions. And it basically means what numbers you have to roll to make a hit. Right. Thacko minus your roll equals the AC you hit. See? God, you're bringing back memories right there. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a fun thing with this table. The interior part is recessed by about six inches. So it's sort of like playing on a craps table. Yes, it's a lot like that. It's a lot like a craps table. And we have carpet tile on the center for the dice. Everyone can easily see where the map would be or anything along those lines. Now, one of the things we're going to add down the road is the ability to put a top in so the whole thing is flat at 30 inches so we could easily do board game. Well, would you like a suggestion? Absolutely. If you decide to make a top that you can insert to make it flat, what I would suggest is make that top four or five inches thick and put a a tray that slides into it. That's the full the full size of it. That way you can set a mat in that tray and slide it in and make the complete top clear laminate so you can draw right on it and then the mat is underneath of it we talked about that we actually talked about putting one of the tvs that we have under some plexiglass so that way i could do digital maps or i could have you know just a really cool logo showing up pull up some ambient terrain or something like that yeah Yeah, just just something along those lines but we decided just the amount of cutting and difficulty this table is very basics very very simple simplistic it's got six legs every player has a cubby where they can put dice or they can put things do, do you have cup holders we thought about it we could do that you know or even put in those metal recessed dishes they use in card tables and stuff like that right you know what if someone spills something it's not a big deal because they're carpet tiles we can pop them out put in new ones and, and be done with it 
I'm really excited about because we're playing this Friday and they have not seen, they don't even know what's happening. I'm proud of it. So we'll definitely put a picture of it in the show notes. Yeah, it sounds like a really, really nice table. I'm excited that you, you know, got it done and that you like it and it's going to improve your game experience. I hope so. I really do, Jeff. (laughs) I have no idea if it's going to, and I don't know if we've made enough space for the players. I think so. My wife thinks so. Oh, so so I got to ask you, since you asked Jeff, uh, how many candles do you put on during your gaming sessions? Uh, we have not burnt candles yet, but it's a lot of fun building. I've made the dice boxes. I've made dice towers, made a really ugly one that is probably working the best out of all of them. Jeff, do you run with dice boxes? If my players want to use them, they, they're allowed to. I don't really care. I don't use them personally. Most of the time I'm rolling behind a screen, so I just bounce the dice off the screen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are certain players I'm kind of leery about when they use dice boxes because I've had some of my friends, uh, I love them to death, but I know some of them cheat. If you got to cheat in a role play game to make yourself feel better then go ahead because i don't want you feeling bad about yourself right that's the reason why we play games is to escape to be something different to feel more powerful than we normally do in in real life yeah it's true jeff just busted me i cheat that accounts for all my super low roles all the time whenever (laughs) i play like it's bad it is so bad ken the reason why you roll bad is because you hate fun. Uh, well, actually, uh, rolling bad means failure, and failure is dramatic, and drama is fun. I'm going to give that point to Ken. And that's what I learned today, so I've already answered that question for Well, later. we'll get to that when we get to that, Ken. I think whether or not you use minis, whether you buy them or print them or mats, I think a lot of it depends on the actual game you're playing. I feel like I can get away with not using them when I run a basic edition D&D or a first edition, something a little more freeform. It's a little more fluid and it doesn't need all that representation. But like if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 or the fourth edition version or like Shadowrun or something that's got a lot of numbers to it and the distances mean, mean a great deal and you have to know where everyone's at. I think in those instances, I would probably use mats and minis and, you know, maybe terrain because the game changes what you need. Yes. You know, I think you're right. I couldn't use it in Vampire or Werewolf or even Paranoia. It just it doesn't feel right because that's not the style of game. Is that what you're aiming at there? A, a D&D type game was based on Chainmail and Chainmail was a minis game and that's the only reason D&D evolved from it was because they wanted to play a game that would tell the story of the miniatures they were playing in Chainmail. So that's how they invented D&D, but kept the mats and the minis and, you know, the dungeon crawl and all that stuff because the evolution of what they were doing. Yeah, like certain games like, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, you don't need a mat and minis. I mean, it's more of a conceptual type thing and more of a, you know, a visceral feeling. And you're not looking to move minis on a mat. You're looking to influence the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. OK, Jeff, you have any final thoughts you want to want to bring in? I think the, the the biggest thing to remember here is if what you're doing is fun and everyone enjoys it, keep doing it. If people like minis and mats and terrain and whatever it may be at your gaming table, do it. If it's fun for you, do it. Because that's what we're here for, right? To all have fun and enjoy the experience and kind of forget our troubles for a short time. Mm-hmm. Wait, I should do it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, now you're doing it on purpose. It, it, it does. Strange. Yeah, it feels a yeah, little forced. But okay. Yeah, don't, don't, don't force, force it. it. It just... Hey everyone, Ken here. Just a quick note that you can find our website at lunchcrewproductions.com. There you can find our social media, Discord, show notes, and of course, subscribe to our shows. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Okay, well, today we we talked about 
meat space gaming, how Jeff and I both as DMs approach it. I know poor Brendan, this is not his bailiwick. Do you have anything you want to add? I'm Brandon? sorry. What was that? I was sleeping. Oh, you were sleeping. <laughs> oh, right. No, I have very little to add. Um, just that I didn't grow up uh, uh, meat space gaming. The people around me weren't weren't very interested in um, anything that uh, didn't involve money. So I didn't I didn't get that kind of background. So have you ever role played? No. Do you ever do you think that you would be something you would like to try? Right now, I thought about it. Um, most of the people around me currently, it doesn't seem like something that they would do. Fitting it into my schedule just probably wouldn't work. Fair enough. Okay, but that didn't answer my question though. What do you mean? So if you had people around you that would want to do it and you had time in your schedule is it something that would interest you that you think you might enjoy the concept always interested me but i just it wasn't something that uh again it wasn't something that i placed too much um too much thought into so you you know there is both a star wars and a star trek role-playing game right yes I'm i mean the star wars one is better we're gonna no we're comment. gonna fight aren't we <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you are a Star Trek fan. I am a both fan. Have you ever seen the uh, mini- miniature games, um, oh, Attack Wing for Star Wars? It's the uh, the, the tabletop yeah, semi tabletop strategy. ships, and you yeah. got a little measuring stick, and you fly your ships around and fight each other. No, I haven't seen anything like that. I think you would enjoy it if somebody showed up with all the stuff and sat you down and said, "We're playing it." They have a Borg cube you can get for that game and chase all the other ships around the, the map. Yeah, can't you just like Star paint Wars? a shoebox gray and put it on the yeah, map? Yeah, it's a, it's a little ship-to-ship combat game that you play on a table and with measuring sticks to tell how far your ships can go and but how they turn and all that stuff. you said it was a Star Wars game and you're talking about a Borg cube, man. I'm sorry. My initial comment was that they had a Star Wars and a Star oh, Trek okay, game. okay, all right. They're, they're basically the same game. They just switched what universes you're in gotcha gotcha they have you know klingon birds of prey and romulan warships and they've got a two by two by two foot borg cube it is fantastic it is highly detailed and uh terrible (laughs) all the ships in the world can't kill that thing on the in the game and that's why i'd rather play sto and be able to kill a borg sphere yeah, you just you just spam your phasers enough and exactly. it dies eventually. STO means Star Trek Online, which is an MMO based in the Star Trek universe. I thought they closed that game down. It's still up. Yeah, they have a new uh, new DLC or a new expansion. That, that, it already came out. Um, yeah, for the for Discovery. Yep, for Discovery. Isn't that the same uh, same company that did Champions Online? Um, maybe. I think it's all NCSoft. Is it still NCSoft? They, they it used changed, to be NCSoft. They changed recently. I don't know who runs it now. Arc Games, apparently, which I'm not that familiar with, but you probably already do. Have they it. also have APB. I think they have APB also. Okay. All right. Now the next set what we're gonna do here is called our lightning round. What is the best board game ever? And why is it House on the Haunted Hill? Go ahead. Risk. It's Risk. It's not House uh, on the Haunted Hill. You think Risk is better than House on Haunted Hill? I do. I think you're just throwing that out there to. to I actually don't like House on the Haunted it's Hill. It's a risky proposition. Really? No, I don't. Yeah, Jeff, we were getting along so <laughs> well. Uh, risk is a good game. I prefer Diplomacy of the two, though. One is just uh, straight up luck essentially with a little bit of strategy and the other one is uh how well can you lie to your friends right which we've established is something we love to do okay so dice games or card games card games yeah by dice games you mean like dice only games stuff like uh uh, zombie dice i think the dice games are great for we have 10 minutes to kill card games i think are better overall compared to dice games so stuff like not just like solitaire or poker or anything like that but like munchkin magic the gathering 
or yeah, gloom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Magic the so Gathering. You, see, now you said the, the evil things. You, I was thinking poker. But poker is a yeah, card game that works. You said that you said the M word, the magic word. I can't play Munchkin though. My friends don't like it when I play. Do you play it as you're supposed to? Cheating as much as I can. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so do we want collaborative board games or versus board games or games in general? Collaborative. I prefer collaborative. I just prefer to stab people in the back. Best game ever is Risk, and yet I want to play collaboratively. Jeff, you puzzle me, my friend. Okay, static board such as Monopoly or something along those lines or a build the board as you go type game. No opinion? I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I prefer the build the board as you go because consecutive boredom type stuff gets to me. It's like, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I've seen this before. You know, it's a Forbidden Island or Forbidden Desert. So games based on an existing intellectual property or unique ideas. I like unique ideas or at least games that aren't built on existing mainstream IP because a lot of those games end up feeling very forced. A good example of uh, a game system that beats intellectual property over the head with a baseball bat would be Monopoly. There is a Monopoly version for literally like every IP in the world, movies, video games. It doesn't matter. There's a version of Monopoly for it. I just saw the Game of Thrones Monopoly today. Yeah, exactly. I prefer original ideas. Like Ken said, when you have a pre-existing game and you try to make a different version of it, you got to take everything from whatever kind of version you're making and try to shoehorn it in and make it make sense for the existing game. It's much better, I think, if you just have an original idea and you run with it. Okay, finally, board games that have seasons. Have you heard of this? Like Pandemic or something like that? They have, I guess it's expansions that are seasonal and things stay along. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think Jake was talking about that a persistent board game what not like style so for example in pandemic so the idea I think as was explained to me by Jake was you have a persistent game so in the example of pandemic you the players go through and you you play the game you have whatever the outcome is but then that outcome becomes permanent to your addition to your particular box of that game and there's some, I guess, rules for handling that. So next time you play that game, you have the results of your previous games factored into it. So it kind of creates this weird, like, persistent world state for a board game. I haven't tried one personally. I'd be interested to see how it turns out. It seems like if you played a lot, though, that would get convoluted really quickly. Yeah, uh, I agree. Well, they, they call it seasons and you play it to a certain point and then you're done with it. But then they release another edition at season two. My local board game shop absolutely loves the idea. It's a fresh take on it. I'm kind of interested. By in fresh, it. does he what... mean it's a new way for them to force uh, more money out of your pocket? <laughs> Sales. Yeah. yeah. My big problem is boredom. You know, once you see the card once, you're kind of like, oh, now I know what to expect, which is why I enjoy the build as you go, which is why I think House on Haunted Hill is awesome. Okay. What have we learned today, guys? Brandon? I learned that I... I can uh, browse Reddit to the thousandth page in about an hour. That's some pretty fast scrolling. Ken, what have you learned today? By cheating in role-playing games at a table <laughs> and getting low results, I am creating a better story for everyone there. Here, here. I have learned that uh, it doesn't really matter your style as long as everybody's having fun. Jeff, how about you? I have learned that I need to make it my mission to get Brandon to experience more tabletop gaming. Good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have a rough idea where he lives. I'll send you my address. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> or we could just play the division and call it a day. There you go. <laughs> okay. Any final remarks, guys? Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I had fun. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Uh, it was a it was a treat talking with you. And it's also really cool to see another DM, how they approach the game that you also do. So thank you very much. Anytime. Ken, you got anything for us? Apparently, I should play Zelda. I've never played a Zelda. And, Wait, uh, what? No, I've never uh, played a Zelda. Never played a Zelda game. 
That's it. I'm you know, I think we should friends. probably yeah, of, we should quit now. Instead of okay, everybody. Have a, have a great time. Thanks so much for joining that's us. That's a fantastic you know idea. What? That's actually really good. <laughs>